All right, so in the book of Acts, you know, one of the things that we get uh, here in, uh, in Acts uh, is uh, that we get to see while we're, uh, while we have these narratives and stories and, uh, you know, and, and the action, one of the things that we get to see is kind of how the, uh, how the first century congregations kind of, uh, how they lived out their faith. And uh, one of the things, uh, you know, that we see, we see how they encouraged one another. We see how they related to one another. We also see persecution. We see martyrdom. We see miracles. There's no one cookie cutter thing to say uh, about it. Like this was the new covenant uh, congregation. This was the new covenant congregation. We love to do that, you know, today in the 21st century. You know, no, our congregation is the way they did it in the early days. No, our congregation is the way they did it in the early days. And the fact of the matter is there was no one way uh, of how they worshiped. There was, you know, much like today, they were influenced by their cultures. Uh, they were influenced by the situation around them. Uh, and uh, and God allowed them, uh, uh, you know, leeway in in the way that they function. Uh, and, and so today at the end of the 11th chapter, we mentioned this at the very, very end last time, but I wanted to um, really draw our attention to it, that at the very end of chapter 11, we see that in this congregate, this vibrant congregation at Antioch, uh, a, a prophet comes from Jerusalem and announces that uh, there would be a famine. It was going to be a famine. And indeed, we know historically that there was a famine, and we know that it was severe uh, in uh, Judea. We know that it was severe in Jerusalem. And we even know approximately when it was, because there are written documents of people going from Jerusalem to Egypt to buy food. It kind of reminds you of the Joseph story. Uh, and we know approximately the years, like 44 to 46 or so. One of the things that tells you is that time is moving along. This is all not, you know, and the next day this happened, and the next day this happened, and the next day this happened, that years are going by now uh, since the, uh, uh, you know, since Yeshua walked uh, uh, the earth. And so it is rather interesting that, that years are going by, 10 years, in fact, uh, uh, or more, from uh, the time of the resurrection to now. Isn't that interesting? So uh, we read here that uh, this took place in the reign of Claudius. That's very helpful. That's how we know the time period in the 40s. Uh, and in the, prop, in, the, in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send something, or send it as it's written here in my Bible, a contribution, for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the, uh, to the elders. Okay, so just in the last two verses, one of the observations we can make is that all the believers were called disciples. It wasn't just like 12 disciples, right? That 12 apostles equals disciples. All of them were called disciples, right? Uh, students of Messiah, followers of Messiah, right? So that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then uh, it was an individual. It was an individual decision. 
I, I, as it says, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, I, they sent relief for the brethren living in Judea. So they were considered brethren. There was really a unity here of congregations, and these were very different congregations, very different in their, in their ethnic uh, makeup, that means in their background, uh, in the way that they heard the good news, uh, all of it. Uh, yet they understood each other as brethren. Uh, and those in Antioch recognized the need to help uh, the brethren in, uh, in Judea. Uh, and that means living in basically the, uh, uh, you know, in Jerusalem, the people from the Jerusalem uh, uh, congregation. Uh, and of course, notice the way uh, verse 30 is written. And Luke is writing it intentionally this way, because, and we won't know why until we get to chapter 13. <laughs> and that is when he says, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas' name is first, and, uh, and Saul is still Saul. Uh, and so that's uh, kind, of, kind of interesting. All right. Uh, and, uh, and so you know that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we read there in the first uh, few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the congregations of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collection may be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem. And so uh, here he is talking about the believers in Corinth, giving to the, to, to the people in Jerusalem. Now, what uh, these two passages have in common in uh, Acts 11 and in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 is that the leaders of the congregation didn't make a decision that we're going to send some money to Judea, that everybody took personal responsibility in, in the giving, that in other words, the need was made known uh, and they gave. Now they collected it, they collected it together and then they, they gave it. Uh, and, uh, and also it says, and I think this is just kind of interesting, in verse 29 of Acts 11, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means. And in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, On the first day of the week, let each of you put aside and save as he may prosper. That there was no set amount. You know, it wasn't like, uh, send them 10%, uh, you know, or a percentage. No, it was uh, each of you, as you may prosper, do so. Uh, and, uh, and so that's kind of interesting. In the, por in the proportion that they had means, or as you prosper. It tells us that they had to take personal responsibility. They took personal responsibility uh, uh, for this uh, collection. And by the way, just so you know, in 1 Corinthians 16, when it says on the first day of the week, it wasn't because they had a service that day. Okay, in fact, they didn't. It was the first day of the work week, actually. Like in Israel today, you know, Sunday is the first day of the work week. 
So, you know, when we, uh, on Sundays, we uh, now uh, talk to Jason and Hadass, right? Our son and daughter-in-law in Israel. And Sunday's a good day. It's a good day for, the, for our other, uh, other children and their families and everything. But we always have to remember that, wait a minute, they're working. So it has to be after a certain hour because it's a regular work day uh, in Israel on the first day of the week. And, and, and in that part of the world, it was, you know, in the first uh, century. Uh, even in uh, uh, Corinth. Uh, and so uh, it wasn't because that's the day they got together for services. What most people believe is it's the day that people got paid. <laughs> it was the first day of the week. Uh, and so uh, it was very, uh, very practical, actually. But then uh, in another place, you know, in Romans chapter 15, uh, in verse uh, 27, uh, well, actually in verse uh, 26 and 27, for Macedonia and Achaia had been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. If the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Uh, and, and so this is what Paul was saying, is that all of these congregation in Asia Minor and, you know, all over the Middle East and in, uh, where, where Paul had planted these congregations, these, these non-Jewish congregations, uh, that um, uh, there was, uh, Paul basically taught them, discipled them, that they need to be supportive of uh, the, the poor believers in Jerusalem. And he even gives like a, uh, a spiritual reason, not just a practical reason. There's a need and they're poor, but he gives a, a very specific reason. He says uh, that, uh, and they are indebted to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in material things. And, and so uh, there, there you go. And I think, isn't it interesting the way that he writes that? You know, that when he says, if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, boy, uh, that, that is, I, I think that's a great way to frame uh, the unity of Jew and Gentile and the body of Messiah. And I think we really demonstrate it within our congregation, the mutual blessing of Jew and Gentile, uh, one, you know, one together in Messiah. And of course, in order to uh, maintain that testimony, we all need to, you know, have our personal identity so that we, um, you know, that we can really make that, um, that distinction. All right. So now moving right along in, into, chapter, uh, into chapter 12 of, um, of Acts. So now we have a whole new, a whole new story. And it, it is rather interesting. But so at the end of chapter 11, we see the unity of, of, of congregational life. Now, uh, in chapter 12, we read, but now at that time, Herod, now this is Herod Agrippa I. It's so complicated, right? There's two Agrippas. Uh, the Agrippa that Paul uh, stands before is a different Agrippa than this one, okay? All right. Now, at about that time, Herod Agrippa, the king, laid hands on some who belonged to the, to the believers, the congregation, in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, 
he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the uh, days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. It sounds eerily kind of like Yeshua. You know, not exactly, of course, but kind of like that. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the congregation to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know what was being done by the, that the angel was real and thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all uh, uh, that the Jewish people were expecting. Uh, and uh, let's stop there. Okay, so Peter is arrested and James, not James, the brother of Yeshua. You know, just like there's two Agrippas, there's several James, okay? This is a different James uh, who uh, is, uh, you know, part of the congregation. And now Herod uh, was the overseer of all of, of, uh, of Judea, right? Uh, and, uh, and the question is, why did he mistreat them? I, uh, most suggest that it was not because of, so to speak, uh, uh, that, that they believed in Yeshua and that he was offended that they believed in Yeshua, uh, and so he persecuted them, that it was probably political in nature, uh, and that uh, uh, one thing that he wanted to do was to keep the Jewish people kind of uh, stable and in check, you know, and, uh, and so kind of like Pontius Pilate, uh, you know, in, in a way who really uh, uh, could not find an offense himself in, in Yeshua. Herod uh, uh, Agrippa uh, here uh, uh, kills James and arrests Peter. Probably the real motivation for those two had to be that they had a reputation uh, that of being uh, activists. Let's use that word, you know, uh, and troublemakers. Uh, and so uh, that's how they that's how a decade earlier Yeshua uh, was viewed. And uh, Pilate, who was responsible for the death of Yeshua, was placating uh, uh, the uh, Jewish uh, leadership. Uh, and here in um, in the book of Acts, it's really the first time I think that we see uh, this um, uh, since, uh, uh, you know, Peter is brought earlier before the Jewish authorities here for the first time now 
since we see the gospel going out the diaspora, uh, we also uh, see this kind of uh, this kind of animosity. So Peter is in is in prison, right? And he's sleeping, and he sees an angel, and he doesn't re- he can't figure. Out, Am I dreaming this or what? You know, uh, and uh, he's released, much like in earlier uh, uh, prison narratives of Peter. The prison can't hold him, right? Uh, and you know the underlying message of that is nothing is going to stop the good news uh, from being propagated. Nothing is going to stop the apostles. Uh, and so an angel of the Lord uh, uh, comes here, uh, and uh, Peter is uh, is released when he when he fully wakes up. He realizes that this was a visitation. Uh, there was an angel, and uh, God rescued him from the hand of Herod. Now, we wouldn't want to go away saying, so that means that whenever anyone, anyone is arrested, uh, if they're part of a community of believers, uh, if you pray the right way, an angel is going to come and you'll be delivered. Well, tell that to James, the brother of John, Okay. Uh, because he was martyred here. He was killed, all right? Uh, And uh, it's not a coincidence that it says one of them was killed, but the other one is delivered. Uh, It it goes to show you that in those early days, some were martyred, some were delivered. All gave a testimony of Messiah Yeshua. And as a result of all of it, the good news of Messiah uh, continues to move forward. Right. All right. So now Peter is free is freed. Now, what's interesting is what happens next, where he goes and how they respond uh, and uh, and what happens to Herod here. So we read now uh, in verse um, 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, uh, the mother of John. Isn't this a riot? So you have several James, Agrippas, Marys. You got to keep everybody straight when you read uh, the text here, right? So uh, this uh, Mary is the it says the mother of John, uh, who was also called Mark, not John, as in the Apostle John. All right, this is an entirely different John. It goes to show you that now you see more people involved. Uh, you know, and many of them had the same name. Okay. Uh, now, this John, who's also called Mark, this is fascinating because in the next chapter, he plays a very important role. We learn some things about him that are very important in Acts chapter 13. But anyway, I, where many were gathered together and were praying. So here they were gathered together and they were praying for Peter, right? They're praying uh, uh, for, uh, uh, for, for Peter. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Now, this is no longer in uh, Antioch. This is, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem. Okay, And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. 
Maybe that's a little Lucan humor. I don't know. But in other words, Peter is outside and he's knocking on the door. And Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the door. She can't believe it's him. You know, she thought he, he, James is dead. Peter is going to be dead. You know, what, what is going to happen? And rather than opening the door and letting him in, she's so excited, she runs back in to tell everybody that Peter is alive. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, then we, uh, we read here, and they said to her, you are out of your mind. Okay, that's not a 21st century euphemism right there. Okay. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, and no, it's got to be like his angel or something, because there's no way that Peter can be alive. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. He was standing there. And they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. And so uh, what, a, what an encouragement this was indeed that Peter was alive and that they had prayed fervently and God answered their prayer that uh, he would live. You know, so there's a, you know, there's a great lesson there in that, you know, was it their prayer or was it an angel of the Lord who saved Peter? Well, what we learn here is, is that when we pray, we are co-laboring with God for his will to be done. That we have part of our calling, part of our faithfulness is prayer. I, you know, uh, I know that, uh, and we'll talk about this even in the Torah study today, that the, uh, the, uh, the other side of the coin of faith is faithfulness. And, uh, you know, there's a famous phrase, do we pray with our feet? Do we pray with our feet? That, that's a very famous, famous little idiom that, uh, uh, you know, uh, that goes way back. But not only with our feet, uh, you know, sometimes we actually take the time to actually pray, Right? I take the time to pray fervently and talk to God. And that is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God is indeed prayer, as well as other action things, you know, that we do being faithful. In fact, I was speaking to someone last night on the phone uh, who asked me if I would pray that their faith would increase. And my response was, absolutely, but are you being faithful? Because you know what? If you're walking with the Lord, if you're acting in a faithful way, your faith will increase. It's, it's like it's, you know, as, as you walk faithfully, faith increases. As faith increases, you walk faithfully. And it, you grow and you grow and you grow. And it takes uh, all of that, you know, really to be the men and women that God called us uh, uh, to be. And we need to be people who pray fervently uh, for, uh, you know, uh, for God's uh, desires uh, uh, to be uh, to be done, so we learn here a lot about praying, about praying fervently. Now I'm going to go on here. It says, "Now when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter." Right? 
Uh, and when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea uh, and was spending time there. And he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord, they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms uh, and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Uh, and then it says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. So it's interesting how Luke writes this. I, I always find that fascinating. This story is back in Jerusalem, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and John, who is also called Mark, is mentioned. And then we read at the very end of it that Barnabas and Saul had been in Jerusalem at this time, when this happens to Peter, and now they're back, back at Antioch. <laughs> and so it's, uh, you know, very, uh, very, very interesting the way Luke weaves the story uh, together. But what happens here to Herod? And, you know, what's interesting is that um, Josephus writes about this historical event, about uh, Herod giving this speech and people saying, you are greater than a man, you're more than a man. And then he suddenly died. Uh, and so you have this, um, it's not only written here in the book of Acts, but it's also written about in Josephus Antiquities. Very, uh, very uh, interesting that, that we see that here. And it's an, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. So what do we have? We have this story. And uh, when you look at, what, you know, what does it mean to us? Well, here, an angel delivers Peter out of the prison, an angel of the Lord delivers Peter out of the prison, an angel of the Lord uh, strikes uh, Herod dead. Uh, and uh, what we learn is, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied, that nothing is going to stop uh, the propagation of the, uh, you know, of the, uh, of, of the good news. Uh, and uh, so, you know, what we're learning here, what we're reading is uh, the agenda of these early believers was the propagation of the good news to people, uh, the growth of the uh, body of Messiah. Uh, and it just seems that everything that we're reading here uh, is about the advancement of the good news. Uh, and regardless of whatever events were going on around them, uh, you know, the politics were pretty bad in those days, certainly, that they were, uh, they were uh, a fervent. You know, like it says about Daniel in the first chapter of Daniel, they were set in their heart. They, they, they were set in their heart to be focused uh, not on the, the woes uh, uh, surrounding them, 
But what they were set in their heart to do was to be a testimony of the Messiah, to share the good news, uh, you know, uh, and to just that this is where their their passions uh, were. This is where their passions were. And I think that in all of it, it's a good lesson for us, uh, a good lesson for us that, uh, you know, later on, Paul writes uh, to live as Messiah and to die as gain. And we see here that this is what was so important, uh, you know, to them. And, uh, and uh, I trust that that is what is important to us, is demonstrating the good news, sharing the good news, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, acting in accordance uh, with that. And I think, you know, that is very helpful in the days that we're living in, right? In the exact days we're living in, like this week, <laughs> you know, uh, that uh, so much, there's so much tumult around us uh, that uh, we really need to ask ourselves is, what is my passion, you know? And uh, if our passion is Yeshua, that can be demonstrated, yes, by not sticking our heads in the sand, but living and acting and speaking in such a way that demonstrates, that demonstrates the attributes of God, no matter what we're dealing with in, uh, you know, in life. And it just seems that that seems to be the import of what you uh, uh, of what you get here, and there's more than one way you know to to demonstrate that. You know, a few weeks ago, I was watching a uh, a documentary about Corey Ten Boom, uh, and uh, I was watching it because well, I thought well, you know, I, I know all about Corey Ten Boom, and I know you know I know the story and. But we'll see what, what you know what, what we have here. So it was produced by a Dutch Christian film company, and uh, uh, which was interesting in and of itself, you know. Uh, and uh, um, but one thing I, I learned, I learned something that Corey Ten Boom's father was approached by the resistance, by the Dutch resistance uh, underground. I, you know, once uh, the Nazis had overtaken the, their land uh, and they wanted him, he was an influential person. They wanted him to join their ranks, but he would not do it. This is, I never knew this. He would not do, he would not join the resistance. And his uh, reasoning was, I don't have time for that. We're just going to save people. You know, we're just going to save it. We're going to just bring people in our home. And you know the story. The hiding place, and and, and and all that, saving Jews. But but it's interesting. He's, he 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 said, I don't have time for this. I, I, to get into the the uh, the politics of it all. Uh, but but now we might say, oh, so there you see. But no, there's other people, such as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Great man of faith who was very involved in the uh, uh, in the German resistance, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so there's not one way, there's never one way, you know, to, to, uh, to demonstrate faithfulness to the Lord. There's varieties of ways. But what uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom's father uh, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer had in common is that their passion was the Messiah. Their passion was Yeshua. And they... They lived out that passion 
really in two different ways. And, uh, and I think that's an important lesson for us. What I'm challenging us is that may it be our passion, <laughs> you know? May our belief in the Lord, might, may it not just be an add-on to our other passions, you know? But may it be the main thing that we're concerned about. May it be the main thing that we're praying ab ab about. Lord, may you be glorified. Lord, you know, uh, you know, uh, forgive us. Uh, uh, you know, on Tuesday night and on Wednesday morning, we were talking about Daniel chapter 9 in, in the Chavarag, Daniel's great prayer of confession uh, and so on. Uh, and, uh, and, and I challenged us, boy, you know, that was his passion. His passion was that God's name would be glorified. Uh, is that our passion? Or just is it, uh, is it other things? And I hope that it is, because if, if that is our passion, then the way that we act it out will indeed bring glory to God. We won't have to say, where is God in this? You know, like, you know, where's Waldo? Where's Yeshua in this picture? All right? I know he's here somewhere because I see lots of Messiah followers, but I can't seem to find Yeshua, right? No, uh, he should be front and center. Uh, and, um, and just like we said last time, may we be known for that. May that be what we're known for, is that we are passionate for Yeshua, you know, and let it be demonstrated in edifying ways in the world in which we live as God leads us. Uh, and, uh, and of course, just in closing, may we indeed be fervent in prayer. May we be fervent in prayer. Uh, and uh, uh, when we say, well, what would God have me do? What would God have me do these days? Pray. Certainly God would have you uh, uh, pray. And you know what happens when you pray? God speaks to, you know, speaks into your heart. And, and oftentimes he gives us clarity of then other things we might do and say. But if we're not praying, you know, we're kind of like a walking blindly. Door number one, door number two, or door number three. I, what, would God, what would God have me, to, where would God have me go? And we're just walking around with our eyes clamped shut, trying to, okay, where would God have me go? But when we pray, our eyes are open and we can walk in the way of the Lord. And really be able, uh, Lord willing, to say, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, yesterday I met up with uh, Eric, Eric Chabot, and he is seeing more fruit at Ohio State University than he has ever seen before. People coming to know the Lord. People asking, you know, inquiring, not polemically, not arguing, does God exist, you know, or skeptics or you know, uh, coming to him and yelling at him or something, but really genuinely students and others uh, asking questions. Uh, and, you know, Eric, Eric is, is just very gifted uh, in uh, being able to explain that. And, and uh, it was just wonderful to hear that, um, hear that testimony. So in the middle of everything going on, let me tell you that things are indeed happening when we, might, when we make ourselves available. The opportunities are there.
And, uh, and so may we be fervent in prayer like these people were, and uh, may we continue to move forward uh, serving the Lord in faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, may we be encouraged as we read these words that nothing stops your word. Nothing stops uh, your, uh, your people, uh, Lord. Uh, probably we could say the thing that stops us the most is our own selves and our own uh, decisions, Lord, rather than outside forces. And so, Lord, may we be faithful. May we keep moving forward. And may we fulfill your calling of being a light to this world, of living out Israel's future uh, uh, today, uh, Lord. Uh, and uh, may we uh, see that kind of fruit. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.